Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ, I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen. This is one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we continue on in our study of the book of Philippians. We're looking at the second half of Philippians chapter one as Paul recounts the circumstances of his life and what's led to his present situation. And yet the lens through which he interprets what's happening is hardly what we would expect. Paul takes the focus off of himself and puts it on the work that Jesus is doing in his life. And Pastor Blake challenges us to see Jesus as the hero of our story and take a closer look at the work he's doing in us. So let's listen in as he brings us this week's message. Well, hey, I want to encourage you uh, to find Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to finish Philippians chapter 1 today. And um, as you open that, we're going to turn on the front lights. And, um, and I also just want to give a shout out. If you are a parent, a teacher, a principal, in any way connected to the, the school system and years of life, you've made it. You've made it to the first weekend after the first full week of school. And uh, you are to be commended because it can be heavy. It can be a lot. And, uh, and I thank you for saying at the end of a long week like that, it's important, it's priority for me to um, and come and worship Jesus and hear from his word. So um, last week, as we got started on this series that we're calling Goals, if you were here or if you weren't, uh, what we talked about was this idea, this big idea that Jesus is just getting started. Like, what he is doing in your life is just getting started. If you're not dead, he's not done. And that brings some anticipation about like, man, what... What could God be doing next? What could, be, what could he be doing next? And so we challenged everyone that sometimes the only way, many times the only way we know what's next or how God continues to work in our lives is through community. And, um, and to the glory of God, over 70% of you who are connected to our church were in a group last week thinking about that, praying about that, anticipating uh, what the Lord could be doing in your life next. And so today, as we open up this back half, as we keep thinking about, okay, if, if I expect God to do more, and I begin with the end in mind, like, how do, I, how do I get there? What does that look like? And so today, as we think about that, God's Word is going to push you and I to ponder this question. What story does my life tell? What story does my life tell? Let's, uh, let's read the passage and then just ask the Lord to... to speak to us today through his Holy Spirit, through his word. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. This is Paul writing from prison. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? 
Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation, my hope, is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is a gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. It is truth. Truth that convicts us. Truth that shapes us. Truth that changes us. Truth that inspires us. May it do those things this morning as we listen to you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. J.J. Watt is one of the best defensive ends in NFL history. Uh, if you're a sports fan, you've probably heard his name. If not, it's okay. You don't need to know him to, to understand the, the illustration here. But I can tell you this. Any kid or adult who grew up um, playing football, watching football, would want J.J. Watt's autograph. Like, if you had the chance to get J.J. Watt's autograph, you would want it. Not Anthony Tarantelli. Anthony Tarantelli, uh, several years ago, was seven years old, and he signed his jersey, packed it up, mailed it to J.J. Watt with this letter that you see on the screen, and it says, Dear J.J., I am seven years old. My name is Anthony Tarantelli, and I am your biggest fan. People call me J.J., because I also play defensive end and tight end like you. I wear number 99 like you, too. I was the most feared rusher in my league this year. I am sending you my autographed jersey so you will know me when I am a famous NFL player. 99 rocks, your friend, Anthony. Amen. She, she is ready. ready to. I mean, that is confidence, isn't it? That's confidence. And as we uh, have opened this book of Philippians and, and we're putting some themes around it, we're talking about goals. And if anybody's going to reach a goal, you've got to have a level of confidence, right? Like reaching our goals requires a level of confidence. And so last week we opened it up and, and we decided, right, Jesus is just getting started. We're anticipating what God could do. There's something more to our faith journey. But the question becomes, how do we get there? 
How do, how do we begin to set some spiritual goals? What is our goal as a Christian that moves us forward? And, and as Paul begins to help the Philippians with this, and then ultimately helping us, he begins by looking back at his story. And as he does, as Paul begins to recount his story and tell his story, there's kind of an unusual confidence that Paul has that, that isn't just affecting Paul, but anybody who hears it is kind of being inspired by it. Like when you hear Anthony's story, aren't you like, yeah, I, could, that's, that's, I want some confidence like that, right? So, so that's how Paul starts, right? He has this nice opening, and then in verse 12 he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. And automatically you're like, dude, you're in prison. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. The Roman Empire was huge. They're like, all the soldiers know about Paul being in jail. And to everyone else. And what they're hearing is that he's in prison because he's in Christ. And then he says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and they're even more to speak the word fearlessly. This kind of contagious confidence is so rare that, that when we experience it, it, we're kind of forced to decide, like, well, what are we supposed to make of this? Like, I'm not sure what to do. Like, the outlandish nature of what Paul says forces us to wrestle with what he's saying. Like, is Paul, is he just a confident guy, or is this cockiness? Maybe Paul's just insane. Did Paul forget that he's currently in prison? He definitely didn't. In fact, as Paul keeps telling his story, we realize that Paul is battling back against something that you and I often struggle with too, and that's shame. It's a shameful thing to be in prison. Shame never feels good. Just this morning, uh, my wife came into the church office to make some copies, and as she did, she went to put something in my mailbox, and then she said, oh my gosh, look how many things are in your mailbox. You need to clean that out. And then I kid you not, about four minutes later, one of the pastor elders walked in and he said, I've got something for you. Oh my gosh, look how much stuff is in your mailbox. I was shamed for not having my mailbox cleaned out, right? Like all of us battle shame and shame is notorious for stealing our confidence. Shame is notorious for stealing our confidence. Paul explains in the next few verses that since he has been in prison, there's some other people that have started uh, preaching, that have started talking about faith in Jesus. And he says, some are preaching from goodwill. Their motives are right. They just want people to know Jesus, to be changed by, by the love of Jesus Christ that, that he had for them. But then Paul begins explaining, starting in verse 17, that there are some others who are now talking about Jesus more because they see an opportunity for personal gain. Their ambition is, is selfish. These are the ones that want to be the next Paul. They see an opportunity to, to gain some followers, some respect, some honor for themselves. Now that Paul is shamefully in prison. Read with me as Paul is processing his response to these two different kinds of preachers. Verse 18, Paul says, What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, there are all kinds of applications that could be made here about how you and I respond to, to people that don't do things the way that we do them. How you and I respond to people who are maybe trying to take some of our honor away 
But isn't it something that Paul just forgives them for throwing him under the bus? He forgives them because he doesn't want to slow down the gospel message from getting out. We could, we could sit on this the rest of the day, but for now, I want us to pay attention to Paul's personal battle with this. Look at verse 20. He says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. Note that Paul says this is his, his hope. I hope that I'm not ashamed. I don't, I don't want to be, like my expectation of myself is that I'm not ashamed. It doesn't say I'm not ashamed. So even though Paul is saying that I rejoice in Christ being proclaimed, he's also wrestling with some shame that's haunting him. The shame that comes with being in prison. Like how often is that your lead story? Hey, I'm Paul. I'm in prison. That's a shameful thing. And so Paul's temptation as these guys begin to discredit his ministry is that he's going to give in to the shame that these selfish preachers are trying to put on him. In those moments, he's going to be tempted to believe things like, you know, people are going to think less of you now. You ever thought that? He's going to be tempted to believe things like, you're done. This is it for you. This mistake's just too much. People in the community, they're going to hear about this and they're going to write you off. He's going to begin to hear things and think things like, you know, maybe if I just if I'd just been more faithful, then God probably would have protected me. I just, you know, I just I just wasn't faithful enough. He's even going to believe lies like you should be ashamed of yourself for allowing others to misrepresent you. Like shouldn't you be out there standing up for yourself, letting them know that you're a good guy? Shame, shame, shame. It's a really sneaky opponent to the goals that we want to achieve, both as Christians and in life. Shame causes us to to show up as as a different person because shame draws us inward as we listen to the inner voice. One Australian pastor talked about the difference between guilt and shame. And he said, when your conscience speaks to you, is the voice an inner lawyer or an inner grandma? I could insert a really fun joke about how that's both for me. Some of you got there. My last name's Lawyer, in case you're new. <clears throat> My grandma's last name is Lawyer, you know? But when your conscience speaks to you, is your voice an inner lawyer or an inner grandma? The lawyer is interested in judging your actions based on right and wrong. Are you guilty or are you not? Grandma is interested in whether or not you brought shame or honor to the family. The lawyer is about evidence. Grandma is about what people think. That's shame. And it's crippling. We all fight shame in pursuit of reaching our goals. It's something we all have to wrestle with. Sometimes shame comes from our guilt, but sometimes shame just happens to us. Anthony Moore was a middle school student in Indianapolis, and like a lot of middle school boys, he occasionally struggled with his confidence. You could probably broaden that and say, like a lot of us, he occasionally struggled with his confidence. And so one day, he wore a hat to school. It was against the rules. He was confronted in the hallway, asked to remove his hat, and he refused. It was a choice that, that like, had consequences, right? 
So now he's got to go through the process. And, and so they're, they're working him up the chain. Take your hat off. No. Take your hat off. No. He ends up with the principal. Jason Smith was the principal at his school. And Smith said later, he said, I, I sat across from Anthony and I asked him, Anthony, what is wrong? Like, why are you being defiant? Why are you refusing to take your hat off? Like, that's, that's not a huge request. Like, you, you could do this. And he explained, right, Anthony explained that his parents took him to get a haircut and he didn't like the results. What Anthony didn't know is that his principal, Mr. Smith, moonlighted as a barber. And so the principal looked at him and he said, look, I've been cutting hair since I was your age. I showed him pictures of my son's haircuts. He's like, I, I cut my basketball team in colleges. Like, I cut their hair. He said, if I run home, get my clippers and fix your line, will you take your hat off and go back to class? Anthony said, yeah. Yeah, I think I will. And so, you think he remembers that haircut? Sitting in his principal's office? The shame of a bad haircut and school discipline was replaced by the honor of having his principal cut his hair. Every single one of us prefers honor over shame. Like, that's a natural thing. We prefer honor over shame. It goes all the way back to the garden. Like, Adam and Eve ate the fruit because they wanted to be like God. Not because they wanted to end up hiding from God in their shame. Yet we know where it ended up, right? We, you and I, we set goals because we want to be more honorable. We want to grow. We want to be different. We want to change. And we do that like not hoping that we're going to fail and be ashamed in front of others. We set goals because we want to grow. We want our lives to tell a story that is full of honor, not a story that's filled with dark moments and mistakes. But because of shame, what we often end up doing is not telling our story at all. Or, or we'll tell our story in a way where we kind of just highlight the good and, and gloss over or leave out the bad. Because shame affects all of us. Some of it is, is shame that comes from the guilt of our sin. But some of it, like a, a bad haircut, is shame that, that isn't related at all to our sin. And all of us want that shame to be replaced with honor. And Paul did too. Go back to verse 20 with me. He says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He wanted honor instead of shame. But how? How? Right? Like, how could the shame felt sitting in prison become a thing of honor? How could that happen? How could the shame that you feel after you have failed? become a thing of honor? How, how could the shame that you feel while going through hard times, like, man, I shouldn't be wrestling with this. At this point in life, I shouldn't, like, when you feel that, how does that become a thing of honor? How could the shame you feel when you realize you're guilty become a thing of honor? Y'all, the good news is this, that Jesus transforms your shame into honor. He takes the things that are shameful and, and turns them into things that are honor. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
That statement is, is so striking that we often hear it as some sort of death wish. Paul's in prison. He, just, he must just want to die. I don't think that's it at all. Remember all that confidence that Paul had? Like It, it doesn't make sense that Paul just has this death wish here in Philippians 1.21. So, so what is this statement? To live as Christ and to die as gain. This is a, a gospel statement. This is a statement about how Jesus transforms shame into honor. How could this be? Think back with me for just a minute. Sometimes we forget that many of the things that Jesus endured on his way to death on the cross weren't physically intense things, but rather they were intensely shameful. Jesus was spit on. Being spit on doesn't hurt, but it's certainly shaming. Certainly. Being stripped of your clothes doesn't doesn't hurt. But man, wouldn't you be ashamed to have that done to you? Being mocked or insulted doesn't cause physical pain, right? The, the, The old statement that just doesn't ring true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Man, it is certainly a painful thing to be shamed. Jesus knew shame. But Jesus didn't just know the shame people had thrown at him. He, he hung out with the people in the community that, that were shamed. He entered other people's shame with them. Do you remember the time, or have you ever heard about the time that, that Jesus stood by the woman who, who wasn't just a prostitute, but who was caught in the act and drug into the street? And who stands there with her in her shame? Jesus. What about the time that Jesus asked a Samaritan woman who had been married multiple times to get him water from the well? Stood there, isolated, at a community gathering place. Anybody could show up at any moment. What about the time that Jesus went to the tax collector's house for a party after calling him down from the tree? This was a tax collector that nobody in town liked. It was shameful to hang out with them because they were the people that just took your money. All of these people were people that society thought little of, that they shamed. But when people in a society think little of someone, they tend to heap on the shame, right? Like, keep it coming. And they do that. You and I do that because it lightens the load on our own shame. It's easier to continue to add shame to someone else. And as we do, we feel more honorable. But instead of heaping on more shame, Jesus came close to these people. He absorbed their shame. He joined them in it, and he took their shame with him to the cross. And he does the same for you and I. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that lay before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That same pastor said it this way. He said, In the crucifixion, Jesus, who moved so many from shame to honor, is himself humiliated, embarrassed, degraded, and shamed. Only by the cross can we hear the words of honor on the other side of shame. Only through the death of Jesus can we now stand before God, knowing that Jesus is not ashamed of us, but honors us before the Father as his brothers and sisters. Jesus took your shame to the cross, and on the other side of it, he said, this is now my brother, this is now my sister. And so for Paul, to live is to remain in the shame 
of his current situation. It's to absorb all that's happening in an attempt to make him feel ashamed. And because of that, the shame of death is more valuable to Paul. It only presses further into the shame that he might feel. And that can only be true because of the resurrection. Paul says to die is gain, not because he wants to die, but because it connects him to the power of Christ on the cross, where the shame of living in prison will be transformed into honor. And as he continues to flesh out this idea of shame being transformed into honor, he helps the Philippians to grow in their faith because they see him living it out. Check it out in Philippians 1, and following. Paul says, now if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Y'all, hear this good news. You may feel shame this week because, you know, you just didn't make it to all the things. You may feel shame this week because you didn't stack up the way that you wanted to at work. You may be a student this week and you're thinking, wow, wow, this new schedule is brutal and I'm not sure that I can keep up. In the busyness, you might have given in to sin that just has a grip in your life. You might be coming out of a season where decisions in your past or things that are happening in your life are causing you to feel an immense amount of shame. But Jesus comes near to you, absorbs that shame, takes it to the cross, and transforms it into honor and says, man, this is my brother. This is my sister. And as he does that, man, then we can boast in what Christ is doing in us. Paul is saying to the Philippians and to us, trust me, I know what it is to be ashamed. But Jesus turned shame into honor, so don't let shame keep you from boasting in Jesus, from telling people what Jesus has done in your life. Don't be afraid to tell your story with Jesus as the hero. So I'm back to our question. What story does your life tell? What story does your life tell? This morning, um, the sixth graders are going to go to the back. There's several of you sixth graders. Kenny's back there. He's got some booklets that they're going to help pass out to every person who's here this morning. So y'all can go ahead and get up. There's Kenny. Make your way back there, and he's going to hand you one. They're back at the sound desk. I thought they were back in the middle. They're right there, okay? These little booklets, we're going to talk about these. Um, I want you guys to use these as a tool to help you learn how to tell your story with Jesus as the hero. But while they pass them out, I want to I answer the question, like, why is it important to learn how to tell your story with Jesus as the hero? Because it's not just so that you can get up here and share your story. It's so much bigger than that. Number one, it's important for you to learn how to tell your story with Jesus as the hero. Because as you learn to do that, that's where your confidence is in Christ comes from. That's where your confidence to reach the goal of living the life Christ has for you comes from. Today, if guilt and shame are winning in your life, you probably don't tell your story at all. You keep to yourself. You're trying to figure it out. 
But here's what that does. That leads to isolation. That leads to loneliness, discouragement, and more. Every single one of you needs to be known. Your story needs to be known. It's important for you then to learn how to tell your story with Jesus as the hero because it gives you the confidence to reach the goal of living the life that Christ has for you. Now, on the other hand, really quickly, some of you love telling your story. But when you're telling your story, you're the hero. And if that's you today, learning to tell your story with Jesus as the hero instead will help you see the things that are holding you back from reaching your goals in your life. Because whenever we set ourselves up as the hero, many times Jesus just says, go ahead, give it a try. But telling your story with Jesus as the hero isn't just important for you. Here's the second reason why. It's important for our community Based on a report from 2020 data, 89% of Shelby County doesn't attend church on an average Sunday. 89%. They need to hear how Jesus is the hero of your story. Because as they hear how Jesus is the hero of your story, it gives them a picture of how Jesus could be the hero of their story. That 89% number, I, I did some math because that's, that's a little destabilizing. That means that for every one of you in here, there are nine people in our county, not in any one of the churches. With a population of 48,065 people, that means that 42,730 people are unchurched in our county. 42,000. That's a lot. Now, you and I don't get to decide if everyone who isn't in church is saved by Jesus. On the other hand, we don't get to decide if everyone in church is saved either. But I do know this. If all of us in here need to be reminded that Jesus turns our shame into honor on the cross, then I would hazard to guess that there are 42,730 people who are out there that probably need to hear that good news as well. It's why, as a church, our mission is to join Jesus in going out to make disciples. Not because we expect them to come in here, but because they need to hear how Jesus is the hero of our story. So, how do you use this little pamphlet, this little handout? Let me tell you what this pamphlet is not. It is not a plug-and-play way to tell your story. You're not going to be able to fill this out and then like open it up and be like, here's my story. Check it out. But what this pamphlet is, is a tool to help you reflect on how Jesus is the hero of your story. To begin to think and maybe press into some of those more shame, shameful, dark moments in your life and to see how Jesus was there with you in those moments. And on the other hand is to see how he's done so many great things and, and shined light in those dark places. And then to ask yourself, man, as I look back, how has Jesus been the hero of my story? Because if I understand how he's done that in the past, then that gives me a guide for what that might look like in the future. Maybe he's been your hero by turning shame into honor. And you've literally seen that to be true over and over again. Maybe he's been a rescuer in your life 
time after time, rescuing you from the grips of sin and its consequences. Maybe he's been just faithful. I know for me, my, my story is that Jesus has just been a shepherd to me. Man, like from the beginning, taking care of me like a little lamb. Only you know how Jesus has been the hero of your story. But it is important. It is important for us to learn how to tell our story with Jesus as the hero. And so I want to encourage you with this little thing that you've just received to take it to your group this week. If you're still trying to find a group, loveshaville.com slash community groups or hit the connect desk on the way out. We'd love to get you in a group because they're talking about that this, that this this week. But more than that, I want you to do this. Spend some time with the Lord and this little booklet over the next month. And then as you begin to allow the Lord to speak into your story, I also want to encourage you to, to ask some family and some mentors and uh, some friends and group members to speak into your story. Man, how do you see Jesus working in my life? That's a really intimidating question to ask, but it's one that will shed an incredible amount of light on how he's worked in your life. And here's the hope in all of this, right? As you look back and see how Jesus has always been the hero of your story, it will help you live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Look at Philippians 1.27 as we finish up. Paul says, just one thing, just one thing in the meantime. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. He says, live your lives worthy and tell the story of your worthiness, and I'll hear about what God is doing in your life. Now, this, this verse actually gives us a really cool word picture to remind us to tell our stories with Jesus as the hero. That word, worthy. The Greek word that's translated as worthy is the same Greek word from which we get the word axis. Axis. You know that thing that is in the middle and everything spins around it? Hmm. Let your life story spin around the axis of the gospel of Christ, around Jesus' story. Who God is and how he's intervened in your life story hasn't changed. It's been the constant axis in your life. No matter how crazy your life has been, no matter how crazy it's spun, he has been that constant force. Now, now attach that back to the word worthy. What makes your life worthy? What, what makes your story worth telling isn't the cool things that you've done or the experiences you've had or any of those things. What makes you worthy, what gives you confidence, isn't you. It's what your life is spinning around. It's Jesus. He is your axis, and he makes you worthy. One more way to illustrate that. You, you may feel like you're sitting still right now. Right? But it's actually an illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth is spinning around its axis at a speed of a thousand miles per hour. Every 24 hours, then, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360. I can do gymnastics, and you can too. We are hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. Y'all are moving. 
and so am I. And that means that even on a day when you feel like you didn't get much done, or you didn't achieve your goals, or shame kept you from doing what you felt like you were supposed to do, you can remember that you did travel 1,599,793 miles through space every day. And that's how it is with Jesus. When you choose to make Jesus the axis of your life and your story, man, sometimes it feels like you are not accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish. You're not growing. You're not hitting any spiritual goals. You're not even worthy. But in reality, by making Jesus the thing your life revolves around, you're accomplishing far more than you could ever see or understand. And when your life spins around him, he's making you worthy day by day, moment by moment. Paul says just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your life spin around that gospel. And then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. And the beauty is we don't have to be afraid to live the story we tell. We don't have to worry that we're going to be ashamed of the story that we tell. He goes on in verse 28, I'm not frightened. You don't have to be frightened in any way by your opponents. And as you live that life, it's a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Y'all, when Jesus, who transforms our shame into honor, is the axis of our life story, when he's the hero of our story, we don't have to be afraid to live the story we tell because our heroes got this. So learning to tell your story with Jesus as the hero gives you that, that constant in your life. It helps you to, to frame the moments and chapters of your life, no matter how shameful or chaotic or disorienting they may be. It helps you to frame them around the stabilizing force of Jesus Christ. It gives you confidence like Paul had when he's able to say, now I want you to know, brothers, that being in prison has actually been a good thing. And when that happens, you don't have to take on the shame that society wants to hurl at you. And what's more, You'll quit throwing shame on others as you deal with your own. Because instead, the power of Christ living in you helps you to endure the shame, to absorb it even as you welcome the suffering. Because Paul says to live as Christ, to suffer like Christ suffered, trusting that in and through the death of Christ, you will gain honor as a child of God and sibling of the one true king. That's the good news of the gospel for you today, folks. And I come back to my question. What story does your life tell? And maybe more specifically, now that we understand this passage, does your story tell the story of Jesus? Because that's the goal. That's the goal. As the band comes, I just want to introduce some questions, some responses that you might make to the gospel today. I want to ask a question. The question, have you been ashamed 
Have you been ashamed to step out and say, I believe? Have you been ashamed to, to step out and, and share that with the world through baptism and to say, I need to die and live a new life in him? If you've been ashamed of that, honor Christ today. May Paul's words ring out that my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. If today you've never placed your faith and trust, if you've never made Jesus the center of your life, stop centering your life on what you want and let Jesus be your axis. I'm going to ask this question of us as well. As well. Have, you, have you let shame shut you up? You've just resigned yourself to the fact that your story has too much darkness, too many ugly reminders of mistakes and mishaps, some that were even out of your control. But, but because of that, shame has shut you up. You just keep to yourself. You don't talk about your faith. You've pushed down the hard parts of your story. You save face. If that's you today, and you're a believer in Jesus, I want to encourage you to repent. Just confess that to the Lord. Jesus, I've let shame win but you turned shame into honor. And so I'm committing today to tell my story in a new way with Jesus as the hero. You see, Jesus doesn't just forgive you of your guilt. He frees you from your shame. And if that's a heavy thing for you this morning, and you want to pray with someone, man, we would love to do it. You don't have to be ashamed of the things that are shaming you. Last but not least, maybe today you've, you've been hanging out on the fringes the fringes of Jesus and the fringes of church. Maybe your heart's lukewarm or half in. And my encouragement to you today is don't let shame convince you that you're not worthy of his grace. Your worthiness comes from what your life is centered on. And that's why we invite baptized believers every week to come and take communion. Because Jesus invites you to the table. He reminds us at that table that he despised shame on the cross. Shame has no place at that table. And in fact, it is at that table where Christ gave his body and his blood that shame was transformed into honor. So come. Come to the table. Receive his grace. And then, man, let's let our boasting in him abound. Let's tell our story with Jesus as the hero. Father, we thank you, because as we make so much of Jesus, we also need to remember that he is your son. You gave him to us freely. You allowed him to be shamed, mocked, spat upon. Not just to, not just to forgive us, but to free us from that shame, same shame. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit in this place, as we respond today, would invite any person that does not know you or that is burdened by shame to find freedom in you today. Spirit, lead us in this time of response. Direct our hearts in the ways that we should go. And give us courage to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.